All right, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this evening. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2. Um, if there's one theme that's prevalent throughout all of the scriptures, throughout the whole Bible, it's that Jesus is uh, preeminent, that he's better than anything, he's better than anyone, and Jesus is greater and one of the things that Jesus is greater than is the angels. And uh, the author has already established that, but he's going to continue to deal with that issue, that Jesus is better than the angels. Um, the superiority of Christ to the angels is significant. It's a significant point that's being made. Again, there were those in this time who taught that Jesus was merely uh, just a man, and there was a tendency to think of Jesus as just a man. And that's, it's, not, it's not appropriate to think of Jesus as either just man or just God. When we study the Bible, we see that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Uh, and it's important to understand that when we read the Word of God. It, it's not that Jesus is 50% man and 50% God. No, he's 100% man and 100% God. And, uh, and so the author is dealing with this issue of the deity of Christ, but also the humanity of Christ, and Jesus, and, and that he is greater than uh, the angels. And so all of this is important to note in this argument that Jesus is better than the angels. And it's important that Jesus be both fully God and fully man. If Jesus were only a man, we would... Uh, have no redeemer and no victor over our sin. If Jesus were only God and not man, we would have no advocate or substitute or somebody who could take our place. And so it's important that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Tonight I want us to consider something that I don't believe we really consider that often, and that's our glorification as believers. When I lived in New York, when our family lived in New York, my dad was stationed over in South Korea for about a year, a little bit less than that, but almost a year. And so uh, my mom and my siblings, we lived in New York with my great-grandfather um, while we were there. And my mom's best friend, uh, we always called her Aunt Wendy, they're very close, and uh, her husband we'd call Uncle Mick even though they, he wasn't actually our uncle, but we loved him. He was great and, and fun to be around. He liked to do things with us. And when we first got over there, he promised each one of us that he would uh, take us to do something for our birthday while we were in New York. And my sister's birthday came first in May, and then mine came in June. Um, but when he made that promise to us, it was something I looked forward to, that I would get to go and do something, whatever I wanted. He let us pick anything we wanted to do, and he would take us to do it. And I remember I wanted to go watch a baseball game and get ice cream afterwards, and so that's, that's what we did. But I think about waiting until that uh, time happened. He made that promise, but there was a period in between um, where I had to wait in order for that promise to be fulfilled, in order for him to actually take me to do that thing. And, uh, and sure enough, I waited, and the anticipation was building, and on my birthday, he took me to um, a baseball game to get ice cream. And it was, it was a fun time, but 
Uh, perhaps you can think about a time in your life when you were promised something or promised to do something or to go somewhere, or perhaps it was a vacation that you're looking forward to for a long time, and the day finally came, and uh, it was a great experience. It was a wonderful time. Well, tonight we're going to consider our glorification and perhaps uh, the greatest promise that we have in the Word of God, and that's that one day we are going to be glorified. We who are saved are going to be uh, we're going to leave this this earth and uh, be in heaven, and we'll be given a new body, and and uh, and we'll be glorified with Christ. I want us to consider that this evening, that there's coming a day when Christ is going to take us home, and then the Bible also talks about how we'll get to reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom on the new earth. Those are things we don't really often think about in terms of our salvation, but they are included in our salvation, that uh, we are saved. Uh, in this life, uh, we're sanctified, we're, we, we grow in our relationship with Christ, but one day we're going to die, but that's not the end of our life. Uh, we, we get to be with Christ for eternity, our, and that's our glorification. Uh, in the New Testament, the, the apostles often called it their blessed hope. It's what they looked forward to in spite of the trials that they endured in this life. And so if you don't normally take notes, I would encourage you to take some notes this evening. We're going to look at several passages and some definitions. It's going to be a little heavier on the teaching this evening, but I want us to consider these thoughts that the author of Hebrews is dealing with. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll pray and get into the message. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, teach and preach your word. I ask, Lord, that you would just help me now to be emptied of self, Lord, and to be filled with your spirit. And Lord, I ask that you would just speak to our hearts this evening. Help us, Lord, to be reminded of this great promise that we have in your word, of our blessed hope, of the new life that we have because of you, and uh, looking forward to eternity with you, and uh, getting to reign with you in the new kingdom. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to consider these thoughts, to be reminded of them, encouraged by them, and to keep eternity in focus, Lord, as we live our life. Help us not to just live for uh, the temporary, but to live for the eternal. As you said, we ought to lay up our treasures in heaven and not on the earth. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd help us to keep that perspective in mind. And again, Lord, I ask that you just bless the message now. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want us to see is man's destiny revealed by God. Man's destiny revealed by God. If you could look there back at verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. And this is a peculiar verse. It needs our attention. And it has to do with the argument that the author is making that Christ is better than the angels. We're told here that the world to come 
is not in subjection to the angels. The word subjection there, it's a military term. That means to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And the he there in verse 5, uh, for unto the angels hath he, that he is referring to Jesus Christ. Uh, remember, we've already established that Christ is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the creator and the sustainer of all things. We saw that in chapter 1. Uh, he upholds all things by his hand. Jesus is God, and he is sovereign over all. Jesus has not put the world to come in, in subjection to the angels. The world to come here is referring to uh, the millennial kingdom. It's referring to the, the new heaven and the new earth that Christ will establish that we read about in Revelation and other uh, passages in the New Testament. It's not this world that we're living in. This world that we're living in is not a world to come. This is a world to go. It's a world that is leaving. It's a world that's going to uh, be done away with. And so it's talking about the world to come. And that word world, it has the idea of an inhabited place, uh, an inhabited world where there will be people. So there's coming a day when Christ will wipe out this earth, he'll make a new earth, and it'll be a perfect one like it used to be before the fall. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's where we're living right now, were passed away, and there was no more sea. In the world to come, the angels will be ministers to those who will be heirs of the world to come. We, we saw that in Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 14. This is talking about the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? In the world to come, the angels will be ministers to those who will be heirs of the world to come. The, that word salvation, it's, it's dealing with the entirety of our salvation, not just the moment that we are justified, but also our, our sanctification and our glorification when we are given new bodies in heaven. And so uh, there, there's a song called uh, I'm Not Going to Hell, and it's about how salvation delivers us from hell. And what a wonderful blessing that that salvation brings. But our salvation is not just deliverance from hell. Our salvation is also uh, a relationship with Christ here and now in our, in our daily life. We're, we're saved from hell, but we're also saved to, to live for Christ. Uh, our salvation includes the filling of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation includes uh, so much more than just fire insurance. Although if that's all we had, if if the only thing salvation included was deliverance from hell, it would be worth it. But there's so much more to it uh, as well. And for that, we can be grateful. And so, and so we're, we're delivered from hell, but there's also all these other blessings that come with salvation. And one of them is our glorification. We're on our way to a world where the angels will be ministers for us and we'll be, uh, we'll be over them. Uh, right now, we're underneath the angels. We see that in several places in the New Testament. Right now, we're in a world that is subject to the angels. Ephesians 2.2 says this, Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That passage tells us that Satan uh, walks among the, the lost and 
deceives the lost and manipulates uh, world powers. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you read in the book of Daniel, you find a few places where uh, there are specific instances of, of it's, it shows a scene of angels, uh, of uh, holy angels and unholy angels fighting over the, the realms of men. You, you, you can read that in Daniel. And so right now, man is made a little lower than the angels. But there's coming a day when that will be uh, reversed. Let's look at uh, verses 6 through 8 in our text as we continue. Hebrews chapter 2, starting at verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, and now he's going to quote Psalm 8, verses 3 through 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set, didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things uh, in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. And that's the end of the quote of Psalm 8, verses 3 through 8. Uh, and so he's quoting the Psalms there, and that Psalm really has two perspectives in that Psalm. That, that psalm is primarily dealing uh, with mankind, with us, but it is also dealing with Christ. Uh, and so we see from this psalm that all things are, pla are placed under the feet of man. Uh, it refers to the Son of Man in that psalm, and that title is often used for both mankind, but also for Jesus Christ. And so it's dealing with both perspectives. Uh, when God created Adam and Eve, we were, he created them to have all things put under their feet, uh, to have all things put under their dominion. Uh, he, God gave Adam and Eve a command over all of the things that he created. And so we see that. If you could hold your place in Hebrews, but look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So Hebrews chapter 2 is quoting Psalms. Uh, Psalm ch chapter 8, verses 3 through 8. And Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 8 is referencing Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 uh, says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So mankind was given a 
crown of glory and honor in the garden. That's what Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7 in our text is referring to. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. He's referring to both Christ, but also to when God created Adam and Eve. And they were given this crown of glory and honor. They were given a great responsibility and a great position and a great authority over all things on the earth. Mankind was God's... Uh, the, crown, the crowning glory of God's uh, creation. After he created man, he, he said his creation was very good. And, and we were made a little lower than the angels. Uh, it, says, uh, it says here in our passage, in verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. And the idea of God making us a little lower than the angels, it carries with it a, a time factor. Uh, the idea there is uh, for a time. In other words, when God created Adam and Eve for a time, He created them a little lower than the angels. But God being sovereign, God being the creator of all things, He knows the future. He knows that one day that's going to be reversed. That for a time they're made a little lower than the angels, but there's coming a day in our glorification when that is going to be reversed. Uh, and so... Uh, so that idea here is that it's, it's for a time. God knew the future. And we see that uh, throughout the New Testament. In Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 36, Jesus is speaking here, and it says this, And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. And so in the new world, we can't be 100% certain, but it seems to be that we will be made at least equal to the angels. Some passages seem to suggest maybe a little bit higher than the angels. But we will no longer be under the angels is the idea. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21 says this, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. We will get to sit with Christ. And that's not a promise given to the angels. It's given to believers, to Christians. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 says this, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And so Christ, of course, is set down at the right hand of the Father, and uh, we're told if we've been saved, we will get to sit with Christ, that uh, we'll get to be with him and reign with him in authority in the new heaven and the new earth. We will, be, uh, we will be above the angels, or at least equal to the angels, but no longer underneath the angels. That's man's destiny that God originally intended. But something happened. Something happened that changed all of that. Something happened that uh, restricted that. And so we see, number two, man's destiny restricted by sin. Man's destiny restricted by sin. So we see in verse 8, this... Uh, the last portion of verse 8 there, it says, But now we see not yet all things put under him. Uh, not all things are put under man uh, right now. 
We saw that God's original intent for Adam and Eve was that all things in the earth would be subject to them. They were to have dominion. The world was in service to them, but then sin entered. And a curse came because of sin. Satan deceived Eve, and Adam ignored God's command that had been given to him. Sin entered, and then the curse came because of sin. This earth that was perfect was no longer a place of peace and comfort for Adam and Eve. It was a place where Adam would be forced to work in the sweat of his brow, whereas work used to be enjoyable for him. It was a, a pleasure to work in the garden God placed him at. But now it would be difficult. It would be strenuous. There would be weeds, and there would be thorns, and there would be thistles that would hinder his work and his harvest. And we know this reality today. When a farmer plants his crop, when a gardener plants their garden, there's no guarantee that every seed that's planted is going to be bountiful and going to produce fruit. And that's because of the curse of sin. Snow and frost and bad weather can be a threat to, to crops today and to the gardener today. We build houses and we build homes to keep us safe from things like tornadoes and hurricanes. And when I lived in Alaska, it was earthquakes. These were things that Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about before sin and before the fall. They didn't have to worry about the frost coming and destroying their crop because it was a perfect place where there was no sin and there was no destruction. But sin came. Sin has restricted us from our destiny that God originally Plan. This earth is no longer a garden of Eden. This, this earth is a dangerous place. And sin is the cause of the suffering in our life. We still, we still have some influence and some control over this world. A farmer can still plant and still see a crop grow. A farmer can still raise cattle for food. Uh, we see people exercising dominion in the world today, but it's, uh, it is only to an, a limited extent. It's always alongside suffering and hardship and, uh, and struggle. And so sin restricts us. That's what sin does to us in all areas of our life. Sin brings suffering. Sin restricts our joy in this life. Sin lies to us and sin tells us that it'll bring us great pleasure. It'll be exciting, but sin only brings misery. Sin only brings ruin. So the question we have for ourselves is, are we playing around with sin? Are we, are we messing around with the thing that brings us suffering? Uh, do we continue to the, play with the thing that restricts us? It'll only hurt us. Sin is the result of lust in our hearts that we entertain instead of putting to death, instead of killing. If you're in Christ, we, we ought to be killing sin. We ought to be putting it to death. Uh, we ought to be surrendering to Christ instead of that sin. Don't even entertain sin. When you start to think about that wrong thing in your life, uh, turn to Christ and, and pray and ask for strength to overcome sin. And Turn to His Word and turn to somebody that you trust to, for help to overcome sin, but don't give in to sin. Resist it. Fight against it. Through Christ, you can overcome sin because sin restricts us. Sin only hurts us. Sin is the opposite of what God has for our life. Why would you play with the thing that has brought so much suffering and so much misery in your life? Why would you continue to play with it? Resist it. Fight against it. Sin restricts us, just as it restricted Adam and Eve. So sin, uh, we see man's destiny was restricted by sin. Number three, and finally, man's destiny restored by Jesus. Man's destiny restored by Jesus. Look at verse 9. 
Just the first four words, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. We can, get, we can keep our eyes on our sin, but that's not going to bring us joy. It's not going to bring us peace because our sin doesn't bring us peace. We need to get our eyes on Christ, off of ourself and on Jesus Christ. Uh, as we go through this life, we realize that there is suffering and we realize that there is sin. And that can be discouraging if that's, if that's all there was, if, if there was just suffering but no hope. But that's not it. We, uh, there, there is not, uh, th that's not the end of the story. We see Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? He's preparing a place for us. He's, a pre he's preparing a place for us to be with Him. And so as we consider our destiny this evening, uh, and we see here that we are made to be uh, at least equal or above the angels, uh, as we consider our destiny and our glorification, we're encouraged knowing that the world to come is so much better than this world that we're in right now. Uh, it's a perfect world without suffering, the world to come. But it's not just about the position. It's, it's not just about being elevated to a position. The, our glorification brings us joy because we know that we will be joint heirs with Christ. And we will get to be with Him. And we'll get to see Him. And uh, be right in His presence. Uh, we'll get to see Him finally face to face. That's not some fairy tale or some, uh, some idea. It's a, it's a future reality for the Christian. That one day we'll get to be with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. And there will be no suffering. There will be no sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of our destiny. We're going to Him. And we'll get to be with Him. Our sin ruined that destiny. Our sin keeps us from Christ. But Jesus makes the way that we can be restored in relationship with Him. And He did that by going to the cross and dying on the cross and shedding His blood for our sin and being a sacrifice on our behalf. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we get to be restored to that destiny that one day we'll get to be with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. We will get to have dominion with Him. We will get to have dominion that sin took from us, but it is only through Christ. Uh, Hollywood paints uh, heaven as just sitting on cl a cloud and strumming a harp. Uh, if that's all heaven is, that's, uh, that's pretty boring. I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, the Bible tells us that heaven and the new earth will be far greater than that. We'll get to be with Christ and fellowship with Him and We'll get to serve Him. We'll get to uh, be in, in perfect communion with other believers. And there's so much more to, uh, to, to look forward to than what Hollywood uh, paints as, as heaven. And that's, and that's uh, what we get to look forward to in our glorification. The Bible also talks about how we ought to lay up treasures in heaven. We ought to um, lay up rewards in heaven. And that means we need to be living for Christ now. If we're not living for Him in this life, there's going to be a lack of rewards to show for in the new life. And so we ought to be living for Him today and serving Him today and laying up treasures in heaven that we get to enjoy and partake in. But if we're not living for Him now, we're going to miss out on some of those blessings and some of those rewards. I can't tell you all of the details of what the new heaven and the new earth will be like, and I think God keeps them mysterious for a reason. Uh, so that we can look forward to it, so that we can look forward to the things that we don't know about. But I can tell you that the way that we live our life now, it does affect uh, our future and the rewards that we will get to receive. 
How are you living? Are you, are you li what are you doing for Christ now? Or are you only living for yourself? We have a destiny in this next life, in, uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. And it's only through Christ that we get to see that reality, that we get to be in heaven with Him. And so I hope you've been saved. I hope you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you have, we need to start uh, living with our perspective on eternity. Uh, we need to, we, we get to see all that we'll get to do with Christ, but we need to serve Him now and live for Him now and lay up treasures in heaven as Christ commanded us to. And so I hope this evening that we're encouraged to live uh, with eternity in view, knowing the destiny that God has planned for us and that Jesus has restored for us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this.